This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Activated by contract termination. Rumors of our demise are greatly exaggerated. Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. She's blessed to be a Bible reading, gun toting, Air Force veteran, wife, and mom. Righteously American. <laughs> That's right. Take a look at that. Do you see that? Did you see? You see my signage? So this mic arm is kind of getting in the way of all of our fun. So I may have to make yet another adjustment to this broadcast microphone so that you guys can see our LZTV and LiveZet TV logos in the studio. Hey, welcome to the show, everybody. Podcasters, everybody who's live streaming the show. If you are watching it on Facebook later or if you're watching it live now or whatever, YouTube, Periscope, you guys, you're awesome. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Um, Today on the show, guess what? We're going to talk about how the polar bears must have gotten a memo from on high that multiplication was required because liberals were saying that the polar bears were about to go extinct. And now, well, we've come to find out that not only are they not going extinct, But they're kind of doing okay. And by okay, I mean more than okay. And by more than okay, I mean they're thriving. (laughs) Yes, they're doing great. Awesome. So uh, we're going to talk about that. We are also going to delve into um, some of the highlights of the news. Um, First of all, did y'all see LeBron James at that game the other night? Um, The lady, some woman is singing the national anthem and he just comes out of nowhere. I can't even tell where he's coming from in the in the video. And he just starts yelling, let's go, let's get this done. As if to ramp people up. And then some other guy who's standing there honoring the flag with his, I guess, with his hands behind his back, turns around as if on cue and spins into the, the mix. And, and it was just so bizarre. And I know not everybody respects the anthem. I know not everybody feels something for the flag. This isn't about making him do anything, but it is a bit odd that he chose to come out and kind of do that in front of the camera really loudly when he did. Uh, what 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 is the purpose of his action? I guess he's really maybe on the comments sections of the websites. Maybe he's checking out what people are saying about him. And maybe he doesn't like what's being said. Maybe he doesn't like being compared to a Chinese stooge that the Chinese government owns him and all this other stuff that people are saying about him. Um, so hey to people in the chat room, Mario, Zena, Mickey, Doug, Poss, and Nick, just holding it down. I, these people are in the chat room. They're regulars. They're, they're in there. They're doing their thing. And then over at Stacy on the right, we have all of our favorites, Chi, Bjorn, Gray Eagle, Richard Layton, Smoke, and Tracy. Wait, am I missing anybody? Nope. And anybody else who joins in now, uh, welcome. Thank you so much for coming in. And glad to see that it, there was a little bit of, um, I guess, smoke wasn't feeling well, but he's feeling a lot better today. Uh, so glad to hear that. Glad to see that on the chat room side. So uh, let's delve into this thing about the polar bears. I want to get it out of the way because it's important to point out when liberals are wrong. When liberals make decisions about what Americans uh, can and can't do with their own private property, 
based upon predictions that it's just like me saying, I know what the weather is going to be for the next five days. Well, of course, you guys know I have access to the internet and the weather app. So you know that if I'm saying that I know what's going to happen, I'm basing that on what meteorologists are predicting, but they are often wrong. So the fact is no one can guarantee 100% that they know what the weather is going to be on any given time. Now, with the volatility of what I just said there, the volatility of the truth of the weather is that no one can actually determine what's going to be the weather. You would think that people would take that knowledge and move forward by saying, look, we also don't know with any certainty exactly what will happen with polar bears. We know that perhaps they look as if they are trending towards extinction or their numbers are decreasing. That is an intelligent statement that can be quantified with facts and data, and it can be tracked. So over the next three years or four years or 10 years, you can say, wow, the polar bears really are reducing in number. What can we do to help that? These are the kind of conversations that you don't hear liberals having. Because liberals want to make sure that it's not about really doing anything about it. It's about saying, what can we make this group of people, like the people in the chat room, what can we make this group of Americans do or not do? We have every right to tell them how to live their lives, even though we don't seem to be managing our own lives well. That's what we're talking about here. So um, Dr. Susan Crockford is one of the world's leading experts on polar bears. As such, she has repeatedly reported the inconvenient fact that polar bears are thriving and their populations are, here's the word that's being used here, burgeoning. Now, just in case people want to know what burgeoning actually means, burgeoning to burgeon, it's a verb, often used as the adjective burgeoning, is to begin to grow or increase rapidly, to flourish. The thesaurus says it's a verb and is used in the following sentences. The toy industry is burgeoning, flourishing, thriving, prospering, improving, developing, expanding, escalating, swelling, growing, booming, mushrooming, snowballing, and rocketing. Aren't those great terms? (laughs) Don't you love it when you take one word and you go see what it means and then you get a little, I get a little kick out of when I find out other words that are synonyms for a word. Sometimes they can be almost too exciting. Almost too exciting, you guys. You can tell I'm on the com art side, not the science side. Thank God the children got their their dad's brain. Um, So why is the fact that polar bears are burgeoning inconvenient? Well, polar bears are cute for you know, purposes of looking at them in a cartoonish type fact or or when polar bears are doing something that is considered to be cute, like laying on their backs or tending to their young, um, it can be considered that they're these really adorable animals. In reality, a polar bear will kill you, okay? Like, can we can we just be real here? Polar bears are bears, which means they can kill you. Their paws are like the size of your dinner plate. It's crazy how they're they're not, it's not like they're running around looking for humans to hunt and kill, but if you encounter one, and you don't behave properly, it will probably kill you. I mean, high chance of it killing you. But leave it up to Hollywood and their demonic efforts to make everything that's dangerous seem very, very benign and everything that's benign, you know, seem totally dangerous. Um, So they have used polar bears as a propaganda tool. And Dr. Crockford's, Crockford's work has been quoted 
I mean, just numerous times. Her work on walruses has been quoted. She's even written a book called A Polar Bear Catastrophe That Never Happened. No competent science scientist has ever taken issue with her work. And the Inuit, a people group who live in proximity to polar bears, actually testify to the problems that are being caused in their community by the fact that polar bear numbers are increasing. But in today's academia, it's not enough to be right, you guys. You, being right isn't enough. It, what is enough? To control the narrative and make things up as you go along. So CFAC reports that Dr. Crockford was non-renewed. Her contract was non-renewed by the University of Victoria. Now, first off, let me just offer my condolences because I know what that non-renewal thing feels like. It burns. It's not cool. Um, so it appears that telling the truth about polar bears made Dr. Susan Crockford a respected, published Canadian zoologist. This is a woman who was accomplished and a leader in her field. She was released from her contract, not renewed, because she kept telling the truth about the fact that polar bears are actually, they might need to be culled, y'all. They might be in the, getting close to the situation where we are with deer here where I live. Where I live, they actually have a culling of the deer. It happens every year in the fall. The police will come to your house and let you know that they plan to cull the deer on your property. And then what they do is they get your permission to have guns out at night on your property and they use silencers so as not to disturb your peaceful Netflix or whatever you watch. You know, we don't watch Netflix over here. I'm just saying, not trying to be mean or rude or hurt anybody's feelings. We don't watch Netflix. But whatever you're doing, whether you're knitting or cross-stitching or cooking or baking obsessively or working out, whatever you're doing in the evening in the dark because it's wintertime, they are out in your yard with silencers shooting deer and dragging their bodies off your property. That's what they're doing. And they kill 100 a year. The reason they do that is because it is more humane to kill them than to have the deer, which when a deer is spooked, it can jump through a car dash, uh, a car windshield uh, across your dashboard. And when it jumps through it, oddly enough, it will jump through your dash, your dashboard window, your, your windshield. It comes into the car and it's not dead. So it doesn't jump through and kill itself. It jumps through and it's alive. And with its hooves, it's like basically flailing and thrashing around and it can kill you. It can literally stomp you to death. Um, It can actually break out of your back window or one of your side windows in its fury to try to get out of the car because it's trapped and it's trying to get away. And so this has happened. Also, some car accidents have occurred where the deer is the cause of the accident and there have been human fatalities. So what they do is they call the deer. And this isn't something that's unique to my community. They do it all over Missouri. They do it all over the United States where the deer are plenteous and in full, uh, what would they say? In, they're burgeoning. When the deer begin to burgeon and flourish, then the nighttime, I don't know if it's the police or who's doing the shooting, but they come over and they get your permission and they use their silencers and they put down about 100 deer. And that's probably what they're going to have to start doing with these polar bears, to be real with you. And and uh, and if you're in the audience and you're one of those wonderful people who you love animals, I'm not saying this to be hurtful or anything, but people do come before animals, okay? So that's why they do it. Um, and also, they they will they'll kill coyotes. They'll come, I mean, they'll they do what they feel will help um, keep accidents down for human beings. So. Back to Dr. Crockford. She's a respected published Canadian zoologist, victim of an ideological purge. Um, First, she was removed from the University of Victoria's Speakers Bureau. 
Then she was not renewed to her position as an adjunct professor. Then she wrote down, she said, quote, this is a quote from her. The loss of adjunct status will primarily prevent me from continuing scientific research on speciation and domestication mechanisms in evolution. Without an academic affiliation, I will be unable to secure research funds or academic collaborations. Wow. So, of course, anyone who spends their time in the far north studying polar bears and other creatures is not likely to be a wimp. Check out this next quote from her. What a lack of academic academic affiliation has not done or cannot do, Crockford continued, is stop me from investigating and commenting on the failures and inconsistencies of science that I see in published polar bear research papers and reflected in public statements made by polar bear specialists. I am still a former adjunct professor and I will not be silenced. Is this lady like my long lost sister that I never met before or what? I'm with you, honey. That's why I have that intro. We're not going away. We're not getting silenced. We're not laying down for this thing. We're good. We're good to go. We're still, I'm still a radio host and she's still an ad, she's a former adjunct professor, which means she held that role and she held all of the rights and responsibilities that went along with it. Go ahead on Dr. Crockford with your bad self. I'm with you. So, um, just because she's not going to shut up doesn't mean that the loss of the academic affiliation doesn't harm her. And what they what they've done here is by taking away her academic affiliation, they're creating an atmosphere of fear that most other adjunct professors do not have the courage to confront. And leftists love that. It's not that they really thought they were going to harm her permanently or you know that the material removal of her her designations and her affiliations would silence her but they know that it will silence other people other people who can't make it without their adjunct status other professors who really need to continue the research work because they're close to discovering something or um, you know for whatever reason people have a myriad number of great reasons why they do what they do and we can never fully understand all of them that's what makes it so hard to um, kind of assess a situation from a long distance with a person you've never met or interviewed or spoken to before because there can be so many other underlying conditions and facts and you know things that you don't you don't know you're not aware of that can impact a person's decision to do one or the other. But the left doesn't really care what's driving you. If you refuse to bow down to their God of lies, polar bears are going extinct. When you can see with your own two eyeballs, see, that's the thing here. This doctor can see with her own eyes and she's using tags on these polar bears to track them and count them. This is science we're talking about here. The same science that liberals are always saying we Republicans don't like. How many times have you been called anti-science as a Republican? How many times have you had someone tell you, you are a Republican, so you don't really believe in facts. You believe in alternative facts. Or we have to deal in facts that we can all accept here. That's the kind of stuff they say to me before I run over them. Like, you know, I just put them up against a buzzsaw and just head on straight through. Unbelievable. All right. We'll be right back. on the right hey everybody welcome back to the show um and i just i have to say i typed in the the 
chat room over at StaceyOnTheRight.com, I typed in, find a successful person and do whatever they do. It's so simple. It is so true. And to point out how simple and easy it is and how true it is, you can find people who are successful telling you that that's what they did over and over and over again. They either had someone who was directly mentoring them, telling them what to do, or they just, they were tired of trying everything themselves. And they thought someone must have done this before me. And they found that person. And whether it was online or in person, they began to watch what that person did and do the same thing. Now, I, w- I want you to understand this. This is, this is bedrock. It's foundational. If you haven't made up in your mind that you want to be successful, then no amount of talk or smackdown or, you know, whatever will, will help you. But if you get sick and tired of blaming other people and watching, you know, well-meaning white people saying, well, there must be the racism, the reason why the black people aren't doing well. We got to do something about the racism. And so you're sitting around waiting on that something to happen. You will wait your whole life. You will waste all of the beautiful God-given years that you have on this earth waiting for some white person to rescue you from the racism of some other white person when all you had to do was say, okay, I'm just going to try one thing because I'm so sick of living in this neighborhood or working at this job. I want a new job. I'm just going to try one thing. I noticed that the favorite coworker here on top of this, this, and that, because some people just have natural gifts. I mean, have you ever been around someone like that? I know I have. I have some girlfriends like that where They just have this bright, sunny disposition. They wake up with a smile on their face. They have problems. They have things going on. But their natural disposition is they're smiling and empathetic and caring. They're like living Barbies. It's kind of crazy. When you're around someone like that, you can almost feel, it almost feels like you're exhausted because that person is so bright and sunny and you you just don't have the energy. It's just not there. Well, why don't you pray to God and ask him to give you that energy? I have not always been this clear thinking and really just, I would say, upbeat. And I'm not always upbeat. I mean, you can ask my husband and the kids. I'm not always upbeat. There are times when I am down and I am really negative and they will say, oh, mommy, that's not that's not true. That That's not what God has for you. Or, oh, mommy, that you sound really negative right now. I, the, I get that. My husband will say, oh, what happened to you? What kind of day did you have? You seem you seem like you need And I'm like, yeah, I might need a nap or I need to go out to dinner. I need, you know, I'll start piling on all the stuff I need. What I really need to do is adjust my attitude. You don't have to naturally have that disposition. And it's not as simple as, well, I'm going to have a good attitude for three days in a row. And all of a sudden my life is going to be hunky dory. This is hard work. It means a change in your personality that you have to basically say, "I'm, I'm taking this on. But if you want true change that lasts, you can't do it on your own. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Anything that we try to do outside of him by our own manpower or woman power is going to fail and miserably. So if you want to make change, you have to say, you know what, Lord, I need to make this change. I'm tired of being the one that nobody wants to help them at work. I'm tired of having a bad attitude. I'm tired of being exhausted. I'm tired of myself. Have you ever thought that before? I have. I've thought to myself, Lord, I'm sick of myself. If I could take a vacation for myself, I would. And you know what the Lord does when you you cry out to him? He answers. He's not like some other people in your life who you might cry out for them and they might come and they might not because they might have something better to do or they might just be sick of you as you are of yourself. 
God isn't like that. He's never sick of you. He's always ready to help. And he wants to do whatever he can do, which is everything. He wants to do that to get you where you're trying to get to. But I got to warn you, God's not a magic genie. He's not Aladdin. He's not anything like that where you just cry out one time and boom, everything is changed. It's a process because in order for you to be changed as human beings, we need repetition and we need to get it in ingrained in ourselves as a habit. And scientists talk about this same activity as the rerouting of pathways in your brain. So as a person, when we make new habits, we form new pathways in our brain. When those new pathways are formed, what happens in your mind is you have now have these two pathways to go on. You have the new one, which is less formed. It's not automatic. You have the other one that's automatic. The other one is your bad habit that you're trying to break. And the new one is the habit you're trying to create. So you have to get up and make a conscious decision. I'm going to do this one. I'm get up. I'm going to do this one. I'm going to do. And then after so many times of doing it, that new pathway becomes the primary where you literally are on autopilot, namely what we were discussing before to use the same example, that bright, sunny disposition that makes people want to ask you for help that gets you eventually it ends up getting you promoted because you're in demand. That is the process. That is the way we are made. Our brains are computers, supercomputers, and they cause us to take actions on a regular basis through our habits. And that's why breaking them can be so hard. And that's why it's called in the Bible, they call them strongholds, where the enemy has gained a stronghold or a foothold in your mind so that a bad habit is your primary habit. And breaking that, it requires the word of God to break it. The word of God, you praying about it, and then you making a conscious decision to break that pattern. And I came up out of that old, I remember the first day I realized I maybe didn't have the proper disposition. I was at this store in the mall. And it was in the evening time and I had been home with the kids all day and I was pretty tired. And then my husband came home from work and I wanted to go to the store because it was going out of business. And you know, when stores go out of business, they sell the fixtures. And I thought I could get some of the hangers from there because I'm so sad the store is going out of business. It's one of my favorite places to buy the Easter dress for the girls and myself. I would shop there once or twice a year. So I went to this store and I saw a lady there that I'd known back when our youngest child was in I want to say the youngest was like a baby and one of the older children, like the, our oldest, so our oldest child who is three years older than the baby, she was the one who went to preschool there and it was only over the summer. And so I knew the director of the center there for just that summer. And I remembered her being kind of sour disposition and it was kind of a, an anomaly because she was working at a childcare center and usually people who work at childcare centers are more upbeat than that. You know, they're just, they're nicer. Why would you drop your kid off with someone who was sour? But this lady was the center director. So she didn't work directly with the kids all day. Anyway, as soon as I saw her in the store, I recognized her. And when I, when I recognized her, I said, hello. And she said, hello in a very gruff, low voice. And she just looked miserable. And I don't know what was going on in her life. I didn't ask, which I probably should have said, is everything okay? But I just remembered her being kind of like that before. And so as I I bought some hangers um, and then I left there with my stuff that I bought and it stuck with me that she was older working at a child care center as a director and she had that look of just just utterly dejected. And I thought to myself, well, I end up looking like that if I don't change 
my overall demeanor. I don't know that I'm at the same level as she is, but I feel like there's something here for me to learn. Why did I see her? Why, why, why did I say hi to her? And she just didn't even like, what was going on there? And so I made up in my mind that I would smile more and I would do it on purpose. I undertook it as almost like a job. And every time I would take Madison to drop her off at the preschool where she was going, I would, um, I would smile the whole, so I'd start smiling in the parking lot and I would smile until I dropped her off and then smile all the way out the building. If I saw anybody, I would say hello. So she went there for a year and then the next year she went to kindergarten. And so the next time I saw one of the ladies from the preschool was at the, at Madison's, uh, elementary school. And she said to me, you know what? It's so nice to see you. I miss your smiling face. And I looked so shocked. She said, every time I saw you at, uh, at the childhood center, you would be smiling. I said, oh yeah, I remember that. She was like, yeah, I miss seeing you there. I said, oh wow. Thank you for saying that all day long. I couldn't get that thought out of my head because I'd made a choice to smile while I was there because I wanted to avoid being sour-faced and because I'd seen that lady that I'd bumped into her. So I'm telling you this story as an example of, first of all, if you're looking at me and thinking I just am this naturally upbeat person, this is one hour that you're seeing me. Or if you saw me at the old place, you saw me two hours a day and you probably think, oh, she just always looks, you know, no, I don't. But it is a conscious choice. They have actually done studies on people and found that people who decide to smile feel better because your feelings will follow the shape of your face. So if you frown while you're at work, your day is going to be long and slow and hard and other people will hate being around you. If you choose to smile, you will feel better and you will have a better day. Now, I know this sounds like a bunch of garbage, but it's true. Even the Bible says that a merry, um, a merry heart, a merry countenance does the heart good. I mean, what are you going to do? I didn't write the Bible. Just believe it. Just don't fight me on this. So the city of Madison is wasting their time. Earthly efforts by man to bring unity among people that exclude Jesus Christ will fail every single time. You cannot bring unity among the brethren without first joining them together as the body of Christ, period. And I don't care if you believe me. I didn't write the Bible. I'm just telling you what it said. These people are just, they're saying things to try to fix something. He says it's important not just for systemic issues and policy, but for the effects the culture a predominantly white city can have as well. A predominantly white city that wants everybody in the city to obey the laws, pull their pants up, speak proper English, and be nice at work. That's white culture, or is that just good human culture? I'll let you decide. But the link to this ridiculous story is in the show notes. So now... Let's talk about this cruise ship lady. And I did link in the show notes the video where you can watch Good Morning America did an expose on her about four years ago, I think. And um, it's a pretty good puff piece about her. They show pictures of her unit where she makes jewelry. She makes um, like needlepoint things. I mean, she's very busy, this woman. But over at theweek.com, they did a story about our luxury cruise ships, the new retirement homes. And they talked about, and I'm, I'm sharing this with you because I find it fascinating that, first of all, there's no, there's a doctor on the cruise ship, but there isn't a religious service that's regular on the cruise ship. Now, this woman didn't mention any of that, but as a person of faith, I would be concerned that if I lived on a cruise ship year round, 
does that cruise ship have um, like in addition to doctors and nurses, does it have a regular church service? Does it have a Bible study? Now, she's living on a ship. She's the only permanent resident on that ship. But there are other ships that you can do. First of all, Waxetter has written a book about living on cruise ships full time that you can buy. Uh, Her book is called I May Be Homeless, But You Should See My Yacht explaining that she was stuck in a big empty house after her husband passed away. And instead of moving to a smaller home or assisted living facility, she decided to sell the house and start cruising full time. When she made this choice, she'd already been on 89 cruises with her husband and loved the lifestyle. So living on a cruise ship provides her with constant companionship, maid services, gourmet meals, access to 24 seven healthcare and entertainment. And she's visited more than 100 countries and she's been around the world a number of times and she still dances every day at five 30. She's on the dance floor dancing with either the, uh, the captain of the cruise ship or the cruise director. They dance with her on the dance floor for about a half an hour. Um, you know, the kind of traditional dancing, not she's, she's not out there twerking or anything. Um, So the day before her husband died of cancer in 1997, he said, don't stop cruising. And so she didn't. So it's estimated that cruise ships had 25.3 million passengers in 2017, and between half were the ages of 50 and 74. And the cruise ship industry doesn't track those who live on board full-time versus the occasional traveler, but there are new ships being built to respond to this trend. Oceana Cruises created the Snowbirds in Residence program to let seniors live on board for 58 or 72 days out of the year so they can flee the cold weather without settling in to Florida or buying a second home. One of the largest private residential ships called The World provides 165 permanent residences ranging in size from studios to three bedrooms. Another example is called The Utopia It is a planned luxury ship that will offer 190 full-time residences on board, ranging in size from 1,400 plus square feet to 6,500 square feet. You can have floor plans with walk-in closets, multiple bathrooms, private kitchens, living rooms. These residences look much more like single-family houses than ship cabins, but for those who can't afford the residences, Utopia will also have a hotel inside with suites on the same ship. Now, The question is, why do seniors choose these luxury ships if they have the option of living in a full-time environment like an assisted living? And we know how those are actually becoming nicer and nicer. They're building some new ones over by where we live here, and they're clearly going to be luxury. Um, There are some luxury ones near us already uh, to handle the boomer population, which is the largest group of, uh, you know, the, the largest group of people. So CNBC reports that if you want to take a cruise on Princess, it's about $135 a day. A day in a private room of a nursing home, a private room in a nursing home costs $253. So when you compare the monthly costs, Princess Cruises adds up to about $4,200 and the private room at the nursing home is nearly $8,000. On the other hand, assisted living facilities cost $119 per day, which is just a teensy bit less than the day on the cruise ship. So there are potentially cost savings for individuals who choose to cruise year round. But the healthcare access is the number one thing that's been cited by people who have admitted they're living full time on the cruise ship. You don't have a doctor available 24 seven if you live in an assisted living facility. But if you live on a cruise ship, you have doctors and nurses available 24 seven. Now, if you're chronically ill or have very difficult or multiple illnesses that you're working through, a cruise ship is not going to work. But if you're pretty healthy and you don't have too many chronic health problems, 
you could live on the cruise ship year round. Now, I'm not recommending it, but I thought this was a fascinating story. Um, and I just stumbled on it this morning and I was like, I got to share this on the show today because this is like totally a departure from what we normally talk about, you know, but it's cultural. Um, and I think we're going to see more people take advantage of it. But clearly it's for people who are wealthy. You have a big house to sell and you can afford to spend 160 grand a year um, on your living arrangements. But it's everything. It's your food, your room and your board, no car payments, no gas to buy. I mean, it could work out. I don't know. I don't think I could do it. I like people too much, my own people. But anyway, all right, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I had a question uh, from a viewer here asking if the lime changes the color of the terracotta itself. It does. It actually lightens it up. And so depending on how much sanding of the, like you can sand the terracotta just a little bit and then you can wash the, basically you're, it's almost like you're washing the pot with the lime uh, solution. It's one part lime, two parts water, I think. You'd have to look on the back of it. Um, I was w- looking at so many articles last night of different bloggers who tried it. You can actually put so much on that it changes the color of the terracotta. So it's almost a white pot with the terracotta showing through just ever so slightly. Or you can do a light wash where the terracotta is the main color and the lime wash is just very, very, very. It's like a thin layer that lightens it up a little. Once you do it, um, because it mimics the action of leaving your terracotta pots out in the hot, hot sun. Like if you're in Arizona and you have a very sunny climate and it's hot, that sunlight will actually bleach the terracotta a little bit and lighten it up naturally anyway. So the lime wash does that. Um, Basically, it speeds up the process for you. Now, I saw one blogger who posted that she mixed a little bit of milk paint in with hers. Another lady mixed in some pigments. So some paint pigments that she had from other projects um, to get a little bit of a greenish color. Almost think think the color of um, oxidized copper, how it'll have that greenish tint to it on the parts that have been exposed to the elements. So she got a little bit of that action going on. So if you if you type in um, lime wash terracotta in your search engine, a bunch of different blog posts will come up and you can try it for yourself. I'm thinking of trying it. Um, you know, yeah. So that's just to answer that question. Good question. Yeah, I'm, I was just thinking to myself, this could be kind of fun just with a couple of pots that I have. I don't have a ton of terracotta pots, just a couple. Um, so anyway, back to the show notes. Um, we were talking about the Broward Coward and how he is no longer going to be employed by um, the the Broward County people. The Broward County government is no longer going to employ him. So here's how this thing kind of cracked out. Just listen to the way he tried to keep his job. What he did was he tried to job shop. He attempted to take another top law enforcement position, this time as the police chief in Opa That job lead never panned out. So then he basically made a public announcement and said, look, I'm going to run again in 2020 because I believe the Broward County citizens will reelect me. Well, They had hours of testimony and debate. And on Wednesday, just, you know, a couple days ago or yesterday, 
The Florida Senate decided to permanently remove Israel. The vote was decided 25 to 15, mostly along party lines. And the newspaper down there, the Sun Sentinel, reported that Democrats generally favored reinstating Israel while Republicans wanted him ousted. All five of the senators from Broward County voted to reinstate Israel despite the Parkland family's wishes. Now, let's just to show you how deep the corruption goes with the Democrats. The families in Broward County actually are on opposing sides of gun control. So these are the parents of the kids who were victimized, either the kids who were actually killed or the kids who were nearby as their classmates got killed. All of the kids there are victims because they're all missing classmates and they all had to go through this traumatic experience at school. So some of the parents are firmly in the camp that we need to control guns. We need to get them off the streets. We need to take them from people, whether you're law abiding or criminal, every, all the guns should be confiscated. Then there are other families who are parents of kids who are killed, who they are firmly, they believe that if people who had guns who wanted to risk their lives were there, certainly not those cowards, that it could have been less carnage. If the teachers had been armed, it could have been less carnage. If it, if there'd been anybody there who was armed, who was willing to do their job, it could have been less carnage. So these families on opposing sides of the gun control issue came together to agree that Broward County coward Sheriff Israel should no longer be in charge. So they were of one mind on that. So for Democrats who voted to reinstate Israel, they literally said to their own constituents, I don't care if you're still mourning the loss of your child. Politics means more to me than the life of your child. I mean, it's stunning. Can you imagine the backlash that would ensue if Republicans wanted to keep somebody on the job who had shown cowardice and dereliction of duty, mismanagement, I mean, just an utter disaster simply because that person was a Republican? If it's one thing you can count on Republicans to do, it's toss a body under the bus and run over it three or four times when they realize that person is an incompetent even if the incompetent is a Republican. It's too bad we don't have that same furor for Mitt Romney, but that's a whole nother show, isn't it? So the governor and lieutenant governor have applauded this decision. Uh, It is really great to see it. Um, There's a quote from Lieutenant Governor Jeanette Nunez. It says, today the Florida Senate voted on the side of accountability. During that tragic day in February 14th of 2018, Scott Israel not only neglected his responsibilities and endangered the public safety, but more importantly, failed our children. I applaud the Senate for their thoughtful approach and and appreciate their courage in voting for the people of Broward and honoring the victims' families with their decision. Great quote from her. Great quote. A lot of people tweeted. I won't read you all their tweets. Um, But the Democrats came out with their own statement. Uh, Israel himself said politics won and the people of Broward County's vote has been stolen and the results of our 2016 election have been overturned. How about you lost your job because you were a coward and you had deputies who were cowards just like you and children lost their lives and you losing your job isn't even punishment enough. It's not. I mean, do you think that's punishment enough? I don't. I don't feel like he got as much punishment as he could have. Now, admittedly, we don't always get what we deserve. But you know what? He deserved more than that. But that's what he got. So 
you know, we can't do anything about it. We, we just have to live with it. So, um, I guess I want to, I want to talk about the next debate. I know you guys, I know what you're thinking. You're like, no, Stacey, no, don't do it. Well, yeah, no, here it goes. Um, the Democratic National Committee has announced that they're going to have yet another run of debates. Um, and they want to liven things up for us because you, you guys know, I don't watch every single one, but when I do, I either do it at home and I'll be on the couch and my husband will be sitting there begrudgingly like in the space. I'm live streaming it on my laptop. And as long as I don't turn it way up, he's, he's fine. But sometimes he'll hear me laughing or something and he'll say, what did they say? And then I'll turn it up and he's like, oh, you know, so he'll listen a little bit, but mainly he's not interested in listening to it. (laughs) But I gotta, you know, I gotta do it for you guys because y'all have to live and this is my job, right? And I do like doing my job. I like, I like what I do. Okay. So that means sometimes watching the debate. I don't, I'm not going to punish myself and watch every single one. I'm just not going to do it. So they're saying that they have an all-female moderator panel for the next debate amid neutrality concerns and sinking viewership. That's right, y'all. Sinking viewership. People are getting tired of watching these people get up there and say, impeach Trump. Hey, what's your name and what do you stand for? Impeach Trump. Um, so do you have any policy positions? Impeach Trump. Oh, so you have, you're having a nervous tick. Impeach Trump. Okay, let's go to the next person. That's basically a synopsis of what happened at one of the debates. So what they're going to do is they're going to have all women, all female panel. So you probably want to know who it's going to be. Well, um, let's see. Hmm. They haven't said who it's going to be. So eight, eight candidates have met the qualification standards and the Qualification standards for the upcoming debate are as followed. Follows. <laughs> the candidates, in order to be in the next round, have to have 3% in four state or national polls or 5% in two polls. For those unable to meet that goal in the 19-person field, candidates can also qualify by receiving 165,000 unique donations from at least 600 unique donors in 20 states. That's kind of tough. That's tough. Um, So in the picture over here at Breitbart.com, they show Rachel Maddow. So, oh, I'm sorry, you guys. I skimmed right over the part where they said who it was going to be. The date, the, the debate is being sponsored by the Washington Post and MSNBC in Georgia on November 20th. And it's going to be moderated by NBC News's Andrea Mitchell, Kristen Welker, the Washington Post's Ashley Parker, and MSNBC host Rachel Madcow. Okay. That's not going to be interesting. I So I, w- I would want them to pick, like, if they were going to have an all-female moderated debate, wouldn't it be great if they had, let's see, Candace Owens, Katie Pavlich, and then two of those liberal chicks? No, no, no. So if they're going to have eight people up there, is that what I saw, thought, thought I saw down there? Eight people. So let's say it was eight people who are the candidates for the whole debate. They could actually have three debate moderators on the stage at a time, and they could have three sets of debate moderators. Are you guys like, what do you think about this? Okay, three sets. So the first, each set would have at least one conservative on the panel. And for the three rounds of debate moderators, they could have in each panel Candace Owens could be in one. In the second one, it could be Katie Pavlich. In the third one, 
you know who I'm going to say? Laura Ingram. Okay? Am I right? Who's who's with me on this? That would be awesome. That would be awesome. Yeah, they don't want any Candace Owens, Richard. Richard says they don't want Candace Owens. <laughs> they really don't. She's a hammer. <laughs> yeah, she's a hammer. She's not just a hammer. She's a sledgehammer. Sledgehammers destroy all the things in their path. Um, yeah, that's what I say. So, but maybe maybe they would say they, they wouldn't do Candace Owens because she's not like a traditional member of the media. So maybe if they said no to her, we would still get Laura Ingram. We would get, um, I like Katie Pavlich. I like her, but maybe Janine Pirro. So Laura Ingram in one, one panel. Janine Pirro in the second panel. And then last panel, who would it be, y'all? We have so many rock stars. It could really be almost anybody on our side from any genre. You could do Michelle Malkin. She's amazing. Yeah. Ooh, she's whip smart, too. They could not pull anything over on her. And the questions would be epic. They would be the best questions. Like Donald Trump says, oh, oh, wait, wait. No. Uh, so many good people to pick, but what if Ann Coulter was one of the questioners? Oh, Ann Coulter. Oh, y'all know she's, she's my sister from another mister, Ann Coulter. Mm, yeah. Barbara says, Barbara's one of my favorites on, uh, on comments in here. Barbara says, I'm with you 100%. Owens Ingram Pirro. Is that not awesome? Dorothea says, Michelle, yes. I'm right, right? I'm, I've got it. Ricky says me, <laughs> y'all, they would not let me on that stage because the questions I would ask would be like volcanic hot ash raining down on the heads of those Democrats and they could not take it. And I don't think any of those people would sit on the same stage as me because, well, you know, I got a bad rep. I'm kind of, you know, a little bit crazy, a little bit rock and roll. <laughs> yeah, but I was thinking of people who are like nationally recognized people that every like a lot of people would say, oh, I know who that is. Um I think the names that I threw out are good and I think my idea is good. And I think you guys also have great ideas, which means these are the best ideas. These are the best ideas because we have the best ideas and we have the best people. Okay. Just ask anybody, especially ask President Trump. So they're not going to do that. But that was fun to kind of imagine the debate actually just rocking, just being so good. Because and notice I said a three panel, uh, three person panel of questioners, the three person panel of questioners. Only one of them is a conservative because that's how they do it on CNN and MSNBC when they have us on. When I would go on, they'd have like four liberals, the host, and then me. There'd be so many little boxes on the screen. You would just be like, where is she again? Where? Yeah. We only need one conservative in the mix to just tear the roof off the sucker. And that's what would happen if any one of the women I named off. Oh, my goodness. Denise said Laura Loomer. Y'all know Laura is amazing. She's she's a friend. I, I enjoy her so much. Laura Loomer would ask great questions. Oh, I couldn't even I could not even imagine how good the questions would be with some of the people we've named off. They could have six liberal chicks, three versions of the panel and have Candace Owens on every single one. And it would just be hot volcanic ash. And we would just be enjoying ourselves. The popcorn would flow. Oh, 